Good morning, everyone. Uh, just in case you don't know me, I'm Jonathan Ricker. I oversee our Sunday service teams here at Church in the Valley. I hope that you guys have all been having a great week and great July for that matter. I don't know about you, but man, is this summer just flying by for me. Like the fact that it's July, I feel like I should start doing summer stuff. Uh, it really just seems like it's sort of been an extension of spring, just a little bit hotter. Um, so I hope that you guys are doing some fun summer stuff. Well, here at Church in the Valley, uh, one of the things that we have been looking at this summer um, are some heroes of the faith. That's one of the topics we've been going over. And so we've been looking at godly people whose lives are a great example for us to follow. Now, just as a little bit of a review, in case you missed it, on June 2nd, um, our pastor, Jeep Underwood, he shared about the life of William Wilberforce who was a man who was a key part of ending the slave trade in the British Empire, and ultimately um, a key part in abolishing slavery entirely within the British Empire. Then on June 30th, Neil Walker um, shared with us about George Mueller, who was a man who lived his life in deep devotion to God. Um, He really spent his years serving a lot of people. He was a pastor of a church. And one of the things that he is most noted for is the fact that he started a series, a bunch of orphanages. This is at the time um, of Oliver Twist, that sort of era within England. He started a series of orphanages. Now, he didn't do that because he was a really, really wealthy guy. But instead, he looked to God to provide for these orphans through prayer. And God came through in amazing ways. Um, and then, so if you did miss those messages, actually really I encourage you to go to our website, churchinthevalley.com. You can download those um, onto a podcast. You can download them onto your phone. You can listen to them. I really highly recommend that. Then in a few weeks, we're going to be having our last Hero of the Faith message. Well, today we're not going to be examining a specific Hero of the Faith, but instead looking at a characteristic that really ties all of these heroes together. So to start us off, I have a somewhat random question for you but it has a point. You can trust me. Um, So who here growing up used to pretend that they were a sports hero, superhero, science hero? I don't know. what. Come on. Who? Okay. Okay. Who pretended that they were Spider-Man or Superman? Yeah, a few people. Okay. Who pretended that they were the most powerful superhero of all? Batman. Yeah, you guys know. You know the truth. Okay. So I would venture a guess that the reason why, or not the reason why, but I venture guess that most people in their lives at some point have wanted to be, have pretended to be, have aspired to be a hero. Now, why is that? Why, what makes us want to be heroes? Well, I, I think it's because heroes do a couple of different things. They work for something much bigger than themselves, and they're willing to sacrifice for it. They go after and accomplish really important things, things that matter, things that are, are meaningful and make a difference. Um, so let's look at that question again a little bit differently. Um, look at, you know, who wants to be a hero? Who wants to make a difference with their lives? Who wants to do something meaningful to accomplish important things with their lives? Yeah, pretty much all of us in some way or another. We want to do that. Well, if we look at the heroes of the faith that we've been going over, or even if we look at the archetype of the superhero, what we see is that there's one characteristic that's really crucial to helping them accomplish the things that they do that make them into your hero. And that characteristic is faithfulness. In the case of superheroes, they faithfully seek to serve people using their special powers. Um, you know, if superheroes had special powers but didn't use them, they wouldn't be heroes. They'd just be people who can shoot lasers or fly or something. 
In the case of the heroes of the faith, they faithfully sought to follow God, um, to follow his commands and his ways, which allowed them to accomplish the amazing things that we see, which really allowed them to become the heroes that they did. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. We're going to be looking at faithfulness. And with our desire to do something that matters, um, to be a part of something bigger than ourselves, what we can find out from the Bible is that that can happen in our lives. We can become like heroes as we pursue faithfulness because God uses the faithful. So let's look at faithfulness. Um, to start with, we'll go ahead and use the starting point of Merriam-Webster, you know, definition, dictionary definition, always helpful place to start. So according to Merriam-Webster, to be faithful is to be steadfast in affection or allegiance or firm in adherence to promises or in observance of duty. So the heroes of the faith that we've been looking at, they lived with steadfast allegiance towards God. They sought firmly to adhere to the duty to follow him as his children and trusted in his promises along the way. And for any of us who are followers of Jesus, we actually have the same duty to follow him. You know, he's the one who brought us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And by following this duty, God can use our lives to achieve those meaningful things, to, to achieve things that are much bigger than ourselves. Now, as Christians, this is the essence of faithfulness. It's that in faith we obey God and seek to follow his ways and his commands. You know, it's that we are firm and steadfast in the observance and the duty of following God. But this morning, we're going to look at a few passages um, that will help us get an even bigger understanding, a better understanding of what faithfulness means for our lives and also why it's so important. So let's go ahead and start by looking at Matthew 25, 14 through 27. Now, in the book of Matthew, in chapter 25 here, what's going on is that Jesus was in Jerusalem and he was actually telling the people about what it was going to look like when the at the end of days, when God was bringing history to a close, when the world was ending. Um, and as part of the conversation, Jesus told a parable. He told a story that um, shows a picture of what it means, what it's going to look like when we fa- come face to face with God at the end of time. So if we start in verse 14, this is Jesus talking. It says, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he had two talents, made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And also he who had two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Now he also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master asked him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed? 
Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. Now if we look at this at this parable here, this story that Jesus told, and break it down, there's actually a really lot of important things that we can see that help us understand faithfulness better. First of all, the first thing about faithfulness is that faithfulness is the measure. Now, I, I personally think that this is a pretty important thing in faithfulness to see. Um, it's the reason why I titled this message, The Measure, and you got those cool measuring tapes that you saw in there, thanks to Ian. Um, so let's look back to verse 21. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. So what we can see from this passage and just based on the context is that our faithfulness in life is going to be a measure that God uses to judge what we have done by by the end of our life, by the end of days. God will use it as an evaluation of what we have done with all the time and the resources that he's given us. Now, if you're about to take a test, I know a lot of people still are in college or in school of some form. If you're about to take a test and the professor says to you, hey, by the way, this is what the test is going to be all about. We're going to pay attention, right? Well, in a way, that's kind of what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, by the way, just so you know, faithfulness is important to God. And he's going to be asking about it. So might be something that you want to pay attention to. Well, Paul expounds on our understanding of this, about how we're going to be measured by faithfulness, as he wrote a letter um, to the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians three ten through 15, Paul talks about how when we build into the lives of others, when we build into our own lives, it's like we're creating a building. And at some point, this building is going to have to go a fire test. So on this metaphorical building, all Christians have the same foundation, which is Jesus Christ. But as we use our lives, as we go through our lives, we are building upon that foundation of Jesus Christ. So let's look at 1 Corinthians three ten through 15. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's worth will become manifest, for the day will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is built up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So, again, kind of the context here is that Paul was talking about how he laid the foundation of Christ in the lives of the Corinthians. And other people were coming and teaching them more about the Christian faith. And through that teaching, we build on our lives um, they were building on their lives. We build into the lives of others. Now, those of you who know me or have heard me speak before know that, know that I work in architecture. Um, now, in architecture, as we are designing buildings, often depending on what kind of construction it is or what the building is being used for, it's required to carry certain fire ratings. So areas in the building can have a one-hour, two-hour, three-hour, four-hour fire rating. Um, and what that means is that that portion of the building has to be able to stand a fire for that amount of time without burning up, falling down, without letting too much smoke um, get through. And so in order to do that, in order for architects to figure that out, there are outside groups 
whose job it is, what they do is they take a wall, they take a window, and they go put it in a furnace and they set it on fire. And they'll just sit there and have a fire against this wall for one hour, two hour, three hours, whatever it needs to be rated to. And that fire builds and builds and builds and gets hotter and hotter and harder. And if it falls down, if too much smoke comes through, if it starts to burn up too much, it fails. Now, if it makes it the amount of time it needs to, then what they do is they take this high-powered stream of water and spray it, kind of like a fire hose, again, to see if it's going to fail. Because what they're doing is they're mimicking what would happen in a fire. Now, if it survives all of that, it passes, it's good, we know that we can use it. Well, our lives, likewise, are going to go through a fire test. As we build into our lives, as we build into the lives of others, God is going to test it to show what was worthwhile and what is not. Now, in a fire, like fires don't just attack rated areas. Fires attack the entire building. And likewise, God doesn't care just about us going to church or us reading the Bible. He doesn't just care about certain parts of our lives. God cares about the entire metaphorical building of our lives. And that entire building is going to get tested. So if you've ever wondered if God really cares about what you do with your life, about what you give your time to, the answer is yes. And one day he's going to test that. Now, we build flame-proof buildings when we faithfully follow God. Because faithfulness is the measure of our lives, or is a measure of our lives. We aren't tested to see if our building, our metaphorical life building, is the biggest, if it's the coolest, you know, if it has the most diplomas hung on the wall. Um, Architects, we can design the coolest buildings around. But if people are trapped inside during a fire and they die, that building really failed. So faithfulness is the measure. It's not these other things. It's not even success. It's easy to look at that passage in Matthew and misconstrue it to think that it's saying that these servants were measured by their success. But if we look back to verse 23, it says, His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. The master praises the faithfulness of his servants, not their success. He doesn't say, well done, good and successful servant. No, it's their faithfulness. Now, there is a connection between success and faithfulness that we'll find in the scriptures. And that is that success is often a result of faithfulness. That's something that we're going to look at a little bit more a little later on. Now, just as a side note, we want to be careful not to misunderstand these passages and think that they are talking about our salvation. Our salvation is not dependent at all upon what we do in life. It is dependent on what Jesus Christ did on the cross. We are saved through faith, not as a result of works. So even if our lives are without faithfulness, we will still be saved. If we look back to that passage in 1 Corinthians verse 15, it says, If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So we're going to be saved regardless. But the importantness of faithfulness is that without it, all that we've given to ends up being kind of worthless. It ends up being for naught. So we suffer loss because what our lives have been about haven't really mattered. Um, People who make it through a fire don't come out with much. They come out with what they got on them at best. So... This has nothing to do with our salvation, but it is to our benefit um, if we live faithful lives. So in understanding faithfulness, faithfulness is the measure. Another aspect of faithfulness is that it originates from us being persuaded about God's character, about who God is. Again, it originates from us being persuaded about God's character, about who he is. If we look at the word faithful 
in the passage in Matthew, in the original Greek that it was written in, what we find is that the word for faithfulness is pistos. I have no idea if I'm saying that correct. And it's derived from the word Patho, which means persuaded. Now, as a random side note, you guys know me. I'm not a Greek scholar. But if you ever are interested in doing word studies, really learning more about the original language and about what words mean, BibleHub.com, great resource. I recommend it. So what we can see from these words is that faithfulness comes from being persuaded. When we trust that God is who he says he is, and that he will do all that he says he will do, we can have the confidence to faithfully follow him. Now, this actually may have been part of the problem that the unfaithful servant in Matthew faced. If we look back to verses 24 through 27, he who had also received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his manservant asked him, you wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. Now, there's two ways I think that we can understand this passage, and they might both be true. Jesus might have been explaining both. The first one is that the servant was truly lazy, and therefore he was unfaithful. And therefore he was just making excuses for what he had done. And so when the master says in verse 26 and 27, you knew these things about me, but you didn't give my money to the bankers, it's not that he's admitting guilt or that he's agreeing with the servant, but instead he's questioning the servant's thinking. He's saying, if you truly believe this about me, why didn't you do the easiest thing you could have done to stay my wrath and at least given my money to bankers who they do all the work, and then I would have gotten my money back with interest. So it's one one way we can look at this verse is that the servant was lazy and, and unfaithful. A second way we can look at this passage, though, is that the servant actually truly believed these things about his master. Um, and therefore, he was unfaithful due to his mis- misunderstanding about who his master was. So he was mistaken, and therefore, he was unfaithful. <clears throat> he had a wrong understanding about who his master was. So whereas the other two servants knew that they had a good master, who was going to reward their faithfulness as they sought to handle the stewardships that he had given them, he thought that his master would be really hard on him, and so he did nothing. And this this misjudgment, this lack of being persuaded to faithfully follow his master's direction led to great problems for him. To be faithful, excuse me, to be faithful, therefore, one of the things we need to do is regularly choose to trust God and his promises holding fast and standing firm that if we follow him, he's not going to rip us off in life. We need to trust that God cares about every part of our lives, that he truly loves us, that he wants what's best for us, that he's watching us, and that he will reward us. And without regularly setting these things in our mind, without being persuaded about who God is and his character, we will find it extremely difficult to live faithful lives of following God. You know, we may act faithfully for a time, but when push comes to shove and it comes to a question of following God or getting something we want right now, we're going to stop following God because we're not sure whether we're going to really get the life that we want if we follow him. We really have to be persuaded 
that God is who he says he is to really live lives of faithfulness. And, and this brings us to our next aspect of faithfulness, which is that it is a moment-by-moment choice. It is a moment-by-moment choice. Faithfulness is not a one-time accomplishment. It's not something that, you know, we get down and it's good for the rest of our lives. Unfortunately, it's not even something that we get down and it's good for the next three minutes. It's something that we have to choose to do moment-by-moment. In the case of being persuaded about the character of God, we must regularly choose to trust God moment-by-moment and not listen to the lies that are everywhere around us in our culture, in the media, that basically say that, There are easier ways to be happy, that there is a good life we can get. We can get it what we want if we just don't follow God. Now, there's an important word choice here, and that is faithfulness is a moment-by-moment choice. We have to choose to be faithful. So much of our culture today is about our feelings. We're told that we should feel or that we should do what feels good. We should think that feels good. But this isn't the way that God made life. It's not the way that God sees life. We have to choose to do things even when we don't feel like it. So faithfulness, therefore, it's not linked to desire. It's linked to choice. Just as a personal example, back in May, uh, our family went on a vacation. And during that trip, you know, as I was kind of, you know, processing what was going on in life, I suddenly just thought, man, I really don't want to go back to work. I'm done. I'm done with my job. I just have no desire to do it. And you know what? I have to go back, but I really don't want to put in a whole lot of effort. I'm just kind of done. And in that moment, God really convicted me and basically said, who cares? Who cares that you want to be done with this? You need to do a faithful job regardless. And what he brought to mind is actually um, Paul talking to slaves back in the books of Ephesians and Colossians. He said, do you think the slaves really wanted to do all the things they had to do? But they had to do it anyways because faithfulness is about you choosing to do. Faithfulness is a moment-by-moment choice. It's something you have to choose to do and something you have to do moment-by-moment. I guess I've said that quite a bit. Uh, So if you realize that there's areas in your life that you are not being faithful in right now, that's okay. You have the opportunity to choose to start being faithful now. Likewise, if there's areas in life that you've been faithful with for years and years and years. Great, awesome, good job. Strap on your boots and keep going because faithfulness can end if we stop choosing to do it. Now, just as a little bit of a side note, you know, as I study um, things like this, looking at faithfulness and the fact that it's moment by moment that God cares about every area of life, something that I personally struggle with is extreme thinking. So I want to share something with you in case any of you think like I do. So I, I, I tend to struggle with extreme thinking. I also tend to think often incorrectly that God really cares only about certain things in life. And there's other things he doesn't care about, that he cares about these sacred spiritual things and the rest of life is kind of secular and he doesn't really care about. And so what I start thinking in this sort of circumstance is, okay, so God cares about every area of life. I need to be faithful, which means I need to be doing spiritual stuff all the time. So when I'm driving home from work, I can't listen to a book on tape. I got to be praying and oh my goodness, I'm never watching a movie again. Uh, Goodbye to goofing off. Like that, that's kind of where my brain starts going. It kind of starts torpedoing down the hill. Now, this is not the way that God sees life. Thankfully, God does not see sacred or secular. God just sees life. So if you happen to be in Neil Walker's uh, breakout session last week, or if you didn't, you can go online again, churchinthevalley.com. You can listen to it. He actually explained this really well. It's very helpful. 
which is what what makes something worthwhile, what makes it spiritual is its origin. Who told you to do it and how you go about it? That's what makes something spiritual. That's what makes it worthwhile. And what we can see in the word of God is that God has told us that he wants us to have full lives. Just look at John 10, 10. He wants us to work, to rest, to celebrate, to eat, to drink, to do all sorts of things to his glory. So when we live within the bounds that God has set up through his word and live to his glory, we do well. Faithfulness isn't about doing highly religious stuff. Faithfulness is about what we do with the entirety of our lives, every aspect of our lives, from how we drink our coffee in the morning, what we think about, you know, the drivers who are passing us on the freeway, to how we spend our night. God wants us to use our whole lives well to choose to be faithful moment by moment and live for his glory and his commands. And that brings us to the next aspect of faithfulness, which is measured to us uniquely. Again, faithfulness is measured to us uniquely. If we look back at verse 15 of Matthew, we see that to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Now, when it came time for the servants to account to their master for what they had done with their lives and the resources that he had given them, we don't see the master chastising the uh, servant with two talents for not making as much as the servant with five talents. Now, that, that seems sort of obvious, like, well, of course he doesn't ask the guy with two to make as much as the guy with five. That, of course that doesn't. But in our lives, I think that's something that we often do, is we compare ourselves to others in their situations. You know, it's so easy to look at others around us and go, man, I can't do the things that they can do. You know, I, I'm just not that smart, frankly, not that funny. You know, I'm not that outgoing. I wasn't given the opportunities that they had. I wasn't given the the resources, the finances they have. I don't have five talents. I only have one, so I really can't do anything. Sometimes, you know, we look at those, other people are doing so much, and, you know, we kind of begin to compare. Sometimes we also look at it the other way, which is we look at people who are perhaps doing less than us. You know, we go, man, you know what? I'm doing a whole lot more than they are. I got five talents. They only got one. So, you know what? I don't really need to work. I'm already better off. What the Bible tells us is that this is stupid really when it comes down to it. It's stupid. It is not wise to compare ourselves to others. The reality is that God has made each and every one of us different. He has made every person on earth, every person throughout history to live at a specific place in a specific time in history. He has given you specific abilities, gifts, talents, brain power, strength, financial resources, resources, and even the amount of time that you're going to live on this earth is something that God has determined specifically for you. God has also given us specific roles and responsibilities, specific stewardships for us to handle. So God calls us to be faithful to what he has given us, not to what he has given others. It is unique to us. God has not set anyone else here up to end slavery in the British Empire. You don't have to worry about it. William Wilberforce took care of it. We're good. But he has brought you to L.A. at this time this place in history, because there's certain things that he wants you to be faithful with. He wants you to use the resources he's given you and the time he's given you to do, to be faithful. You know, even if we look back at superheroes, you know, a struggle that we often see in comics, books, superhero movies, whatever it is, is that superheroes struggle with whether they should use the special gifts that they have. You know, typically there's something in life that's very difficult, and so they struggle. Should I use these special resources that I have 
to be faithful or should I just do something else? And faithfulness for, ha- for us is how we use the resources God has given us to accomplish the goals, missions, and assignments he has given us. So you're not expected to accomplish what others do or what others are able to do, but God has given you certain things and expects you to be faithful with those. And the next, the last aspect of faithfulness we're going to be looking at today is that it is of great benefit to us here and now. So, you know, we, one of the things that we spent some time on is looking at, at how faithfulness is really going to be a benefit to us at the end of days, how if we live lives of faithfulness. But faithfulness actually also really blesses our lives right here and right now. So I'm just going to go over a very few ways that faithfulness blesses us. But if you are interested in doing a Bible study, I'd really encourage you to look at the importance of faithfulness and how it blesses you and look at all the various verses that talk about that. So here's just a few. One is Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Faithfulness here, he's talking about following God's word and what that results in is in a life that's prosperous and good success. Now, as a caveat, that doesn't necessarily mean prosperity and good success in the way that the world looks at it. Um, but it's talking about a good life that's going to glorify God and bless others. So as we pursue faithfulness and following God's word, doing what it says, we are going to find that we are prosperous and have good success. Proverbs 3, 3 through 4. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart so that you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Again, we see those same sort of things, that we will find favor with man and with God, and that we will have good success as we live lives of faithfulness. Psalm thirty-one, twenty-three: Love the Lord, all you his saints. The Lord preserves the faithful, but, uh, but abundantly praise the one who acts in bride. <clears throat> now again, these are just a very few examples of some of the blessings that faithfulness has for us right now. And something that we looked at at the very beginning of this message, one of the great blessings that faithfulness gives us right now is that God uses the faithful. Let's look back at Matthew verse 25. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. With the servants who are faithful, God raises them up to do even more. God can use them to do great things, to be a part of something much bigger than themselves, to be a part of something that is truly meaningful. At the beginning, we talked about, do we really want to be, to live lives that are meaningful? Well, God raises up the faithful to do that. They, you know, the faithful are able to be like the heroes that we've talked about. They may not do something as publicly seen as William Wilberforce, as George Mueller, but just because it's not seen does not make it any less worthwhile, does not make it any less amazing, any less something that is great to be a part of. The unfaithful servant, on the other hand, is put off to the side. So whereas the faithful are used, the unfaithful is put off to the side. They're not going to achieve those things of meaning. Faithfulness is of high value to God, and it's of great benefit to our lives. And we can build lives like those of heroes, when we faithfully follow God. I'm going to go ahead and start wrapping up. If the band could go ahead and come back up. Um, 
If you look at the back of your notes handout sheet or if you pull out your bulletin, not your bulletin, your connection card, go ahead and pull out your connection card, look on the back of that. Um, There's some possible next steps. I really encourage you just to think through um, some potential next steps that you could you could take. And the reason that we ask you to do that each week is because we really experience blessing in life as we live out the word of God, not just as we hear it. So here's some suggestions from me. Feel free to do whatever makes sense for you, whatever God may have spoken to your heart about. Maybe that's to do your own study on faithfulness. So here, here's a couple of different things you can do. One is you can write down the different ways that you are concerned that God may not come through for you or that you may have be disappointed with the results if you fully follow him. And then you can pray over each concern, asking God to help you trust him with them. This goes back to, we really have to be persuaded about who God is in order to faithfully follow him. So something you can do is you can just go, you know, when is it I don't follow? When is it that I'm not faithful? When is it, you know, what do I doubt God on? And then you can just begin to take those things to him. The next thing you could do is you can make a list of the roles and responsibilities you have in life. Pick three and think through what next step you would need to take to be faithful with what God wants you to do in those areas. God has made you specifically. He's put you in a specific place. So this is an opportunity to think through what has God given me? Not what has he given others, but what has God given me and how can I be faithful to that? The last thing you can do is praise those who are faithful. To be faithful is not easy. We actually have a lot of men and women who faithfully come here every week and set things up, who do so much work for our church. Um, and it's not always easy to do that. And a timely word of thanks can really be encouragement to those people who faithfully serve. So I'd really encourage you, something you can do is just praise those and thank those who are faithful. Well, I'm going to go ahead and pray now, and then we'll uh, sing some more songs as we close out our service. God, I just thank you that you are a faithful God, first and foremost, that you love us and that you can get, you give us such wonderful lives if we'll just follow you. I pray that you would just help us to see the areas in life where we need to really work on being faithful, um, that you'd help us to see how the lives that you've given us and really see what you want us to do with those. And I pray that we would just uh, have full confidence in you that you are a good God who will not rip us off, but give us a wonderful life. Thank you for this day, and we just pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.